1: Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a twenty-four-seven support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com/thrive. That's E C K F E L D T com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Kezia Robinson. She is principal at Cassia Partners. Uh, we're going to talk to her a little bit about the work that she does as a strategic coach working with early-stage companies, growth companies, uh, around helping them uh, really figure out how they're going to grow and scale. Obviously, a, a space that I, I work with a lot, and I'm always curious to talk with other folks that are in this space, kind of the work they do, how they approach it, the companies they work with. I find that there's so many different approaches, so many different needs in this space and really kind of helping you know everything from strategy to leadership to management process design there's there's so many areas and so many facets of growth coaching it's always fun to kind of hear other perspectives and what other people are doing so with that Casey, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me, Bruce.
1: It's a pleasure to have you on. So why don't we talk about, uh, let's talk about your background first, how you got into the space, what got you into coaching, what you got What got you into strategy, what was the background?
0: So uh, well, one of the stories I like to tell is I come out of the, the finance world, actually originally come out of uh, academic science background. Uh, and then I went into investment and mutual funds and, and public market investing. Mm-hmm. And I was at a uh, an event you know, pre-COVID, but yeah. uh, in person, and, uh, and a gentleman who's in private equity, he says, oh, so how did you, you know, get from investing to coaching? Was that just, you know, a, an easy jump? that I looked at it, but I said, not at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> I kind of stumbled my way into into coaching. What happened with me is that I really loved the, the variety of investing. I love learning about companies, but I just felt like I was so far away you know, with, when you're doing, especially with mutual funds, the company's not going to work out. You just sell the stock. You don't mm-hmm. try to help them get better. <laughs> yeah. You don't get in there and, and kind of look at, well, why is the, the business not working? Yeah. What, you know, and you're so far away. We have this think you know things, right? You think you know things when you're an investor. And no matter how long you've covered a company, you really don't know what's going on inside. Yeah. So I then sort of moved in, and did more consulting and I got into some stuff that was related to private market investing and various other types of securities. And what I found was you got a little bit more information, but it was a myth that you really knew what was going on inside the business. And And I just started to feel like it, with this the investing side, I was like, I'm just moving paper around. I don't <laughs> think I can create any value here. Yeah. And so I shifted towards incrementally. Then I went in consulting, worked with a lot of larger companies. And again, I felt like, here I am. I'm I'm doing all this work, they're paying me, great. They say, thank you, love the work. And then they put it on the shelf. (laughs) So eventually I I started to look at what were the the engagements that were really coming to fruition where the the client was seeing really substantial transformation and success. And they were always ones where we were really working more co-piloting. And I was really working with the leadership of the organization and helping them understand who they were and how they wanted to lead. And then going into what does that mean for your service offering? What is that? Do you need to pivot? How are you going to scale? For even what's your pricing model? What resources do you need? A fractional CFO? Do you need a full real CFO? Yeah. What do you need coming in? And that is was when one, and one day somebody looked at me and says, "You know, this is called coaching." <laughs> and yeah. I said, "Oh no 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 no!" I said, "Every woman ten years out of business school becomes a coach." Like no 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 no. And they were like, "No no no, no. this is called coaching." And I finally uh, put my shingle out and was like, okay, I'm a coach. And it's just been, that's I mean, I've been independent for about almost 10 years and I, about three, four years ago is when I put out my shingle as a coach and mm. off to the races ever since.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, what else was kind of the transformation there? Like I always, I'm always fascinated by folks that kind of go more from the, you know, kind of consulting side or the, um, you know, g- going, going from sort of switching into the coaching role, what else did you have to change either your thinking or how you approach things or what you realized you were, you were going to have to start doing or, or stop doing around how you engage with clients? I and
0: mean, that's a fantastic question. The biggest thing for me is I, you know, and maybe I have a God complex, but one day I woke up and I was <laughs> like, I cannot solve every problem. I don't know how to solve every problem. And I'm a really smart, you know, I'm like, I'm a really smart person. I'm a really Mm -hmm. good problem solver. I was, you know, I was putting myself out there as sort of a brain for hire. You bring me something you can't figure out and I would figure it out for you. But I started to look at it and not just at a personal and business level, but really looking globally, you know, people come in, climate change, poverty, start to roll through it. I was like, we have seven and a half billion people on this planet. We have seven and a half billion brains on this planet. And our largest issue is that we do not harness the power of that. We can solve any problem that comes our way. And when I started to see, like, it's not my job to solve it. It's my job to help other people unlock that potential and then help them do that down the stack of their business, right, And in their community. And I'm a capitalist. Money is a great way. To distribute value, to get compensated for creating value, it is an excellent tool if you use it the right way, and that's where I kind of realized that I was interested in coaching, and specifically because I love business, was interested in business coaching yeah. and strategy.
1: Yeah, I always joke that as a coach, I don't do anything right. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm there to just ask questions and, frame, you know, tee up discussions and,
0: you know, right. make sure
1: everyone's looking at the possibilities and, you know, so yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's a very um, different approach, particularly for someone who's used to just solving problems, like just taking the bull yeah. by the horns and doing it, you know, working with the team that way and helping them through the process. And, and right. um,
0: I hybridize in the sense that, you know, if we're going to do, um, an ideation, right. I will, if they need some ideas to get moving, yeah. right. I'll come in same thing. I've, you know, and, and you've had the same thing when you've seen, I think between the investing career, I once like started to add it up between my investing career, uh, consulting, coaching, all of the stuff. I've probably met with a thousand companies. Oh, yeah. So at some point, you start to say, you know, this is a big one. I'm sure you have where people are like, you know, in our industry, insert whatever. And I'm always like, that's BS. Your industry, I mean, we can't. You can't find good people. This is one I get all the time. You oh, yeah. can't find yeah, good yeah. people. And I'm always like, what's your market share? Are you Coca Cola? No, your market <laughs> yeah. share. You know, it's like I don't know. You got thirty, forty people in the company, maybe want, but your market share is typically. Two percent maybe regionally. Yeah. I was like, so that means there's all of these other people. What percentage of the employees that you have are great? Oh like seventy-five percent. And I'm like, okay. So you let's do the math. I had a restaurant client once, and I was like, let's do the math. Everybody in Boston, I live in the Boston area and this client mm-hmm. was there. Let's so add it all up. We did all the math and I was like, So you don't you need five good employees?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Out of the thousands of good employees there are, you just need five. Can you not be a better employer than Everyone else, why don't you just try to be a better employer? Go get those five. And it was really a transformational idea, especially in service businesses that, oh, I don't need. I'm not the market. I'm not the industry.
1: Well, I think it's a great thing. and It's something I think we do as coaches all the time, which is when a client sort of presents an intractable problem or, well, I can't or it's not possible or all these kind of things. There's this kind of like, really? And you just kind of break it down. It's like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? Right. And all of a sudden it starts becoming, oh yeah, you're right. If we really only need five people and there's probably somewhere between 30 and 40,000 available people in Boston, (laughs) like, okay, that's the percentage. Yeah. It's not not that it's easy. It's not that, oh, well now it's solved, but it starts making it possible. Right. You move them from this. I have, I don't know how, or it seems impossible to, okay, it may not be easy, but now it's like, okay, we probably need to you know, Mm -hmm. get a bunch of candidates in, where are we going to get the candidates? How are we doing the interviews? Like you you start just kind of chunking it down to the point where they can actually start seeing a path where they can
2: take action.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had a a great client where who, and this is, and it wasn't so much about talent, though it ended up being about talent, but it's a interior design firm and a single principal. He was approaching retirement and- was like, wait, looked around and was like, I don't have anybody to sell this business to. Yeah. You know, and this is something is, you, you know, with service businesses, a lot of times it's not saleable. You know, it's and, and until you get to a certain size, you couldn't sell it to an outside party. They won't give you very much for your book yeah. because you're the primary salesperson and point of contact. Exactly. And then you go and you say, so you're looking at trying to do an internal transfer. That's really the most effective way. Plus I think that's, you want to give the opportunity to people to also be business owners. But we were going through it. He was just telling me something about, I said, well, you know, it's interior design, very high end. I was like, what's your project level profitability? Let's talk about how your project. And he was, you know, I can't, you can't figure that out. Not possible, not possible, not possible. (laughs) He really like really didn't want, he was very, he had a very strong emotional connection to controlling the books.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Finally warmed him up after a couple of months, he ends up bringing in someone outside to do bookkeeping. And then all of a sudden that person goes, No problem. You want to know project level profitability? Push a button. Here's your report. And We started to be (laughs) able. So it was to your point, the work was not around. The work was around saying it is possible to do it. You don't have to be the person to do it. And then how do we get you to the place where you're comfortable having a, a professional come in? And yeah. look at your numbers. And that's not something that has such emotional weight. And so it took months. It wasn't something. And a consultant would have come in and said, you should do X. Give me your books. I'll take it. And it would have blown up. Right? Nope. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm curious how, like, what strategies you use or how, how you do kind of that diagnostic. Because I typically find, you know, you come in a situation they're like, well, we, you know, we we're having a talent issue, right? We can't hire the right mm-hmm. people. Right. And then we figure out, it's like, well, because they can't pay very good wages. Right, they're under financial pressure. So now it's like, while well, you're under financial pressure, it's like, well, because you know our pricing is really off. Why is pricing off? Well, because we really haven't differentiated the strategy, right? Like, there's always this kind <laughs> right. of cascade, and like, exactly. really, there's kind of the presenting problem, and then there's the real problem. Like, yeah. uh, how how do you kind of work with clients to kind of dig into that and kind of yeah. look beyond the thing that they initially kind of present to you in terms of this is right. what we need help with.
0: Well, I love you with the, use the word cascade because I actually. Um, one of the analogies that I work with clients is I'm like, you know, you're it's like a waterfall and mm-hmm. you're at the top of the waterfall, it's big, but it's clear. At the bottom of the waterfall, what happens? The water's going, everybody, where it's all the spray. I mean, I had somebody once come in and she was like, I need a new logo. And when we did the, <laughs> okay, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. We got back to, she needed, she didn't have a product line yet. You know, she just had a general idea. One of the things that I do with clients, I always, I do start with a behavioral assessment. I'm like, let's, we do a little, tell me a little bit about your business. Tell me your tales of woe, right? In the initial I start behavioral assessment so that we can collectively get an understanding of where they're going to get in their own way and where they're going to really run with things. And I like to do that because a lot of times, you know, the the approach you're going to take with somebody who's really good at an aha moment, you just, they're just sure they're right. You know, there's a person who's sure they're right. But they Mm -hmm. respond to power. So you're going to go at them with authority, with a couple of things, and the second you've established authority and you've shown them, like, the linear path to something, they're like, oh, oh, you're right. Okay, what's the answer? And then you can walk them very easily through the tell me about this, tell me about that, get into the problem. Other people are very... You know, are going to be very anchored and they take and they have a very strong like they get anxious, right, about being wrong. And so you have to go in and really come at the questions in much more a way of like I will often say, you know, that's a cause or a solution and approach. It's not necessarily the cause or the solution or the approach. Let's do more of uh, and let's just think a little bit more in a softer way. And it might take longer, but the person has more agency and feels more comfortable. But a lot of times, to your point, you know, they say five whys or whatever. I like to use what because why always goes down to because I said so. (laughs) <laughs> you know, remember as a kid, why, yeah, yeah. why? Because I said so. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I remember a friend had a thing on her fridge because I'm a mommy and I said yeah. so. And I was like, you know, so I, I go, well, what, you know, what, what made you make this decision that you need to hire more people or what this or what that? Sometimes it's more, it's a little, you get more out of it and it's up to you as the coach, right? To be able to, with your experience to be able to sift, because you're going to parking lot, they're going to tell you a lot of issues, right? And you kind of want to parking lot them so you can keep following the thread back up the cascade right to the place where you're like, oh, and it's always lack of strategy, lack of a cohesive strategy, and usually, you know, lack of leadership that the the, the person running the company has not grown into themselves as a leader.
1: Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Tell me more about that, because I think that's one thing. I mean, I, I, I do presentations and stuff on kind of the transition from founder to CEO and how, you know, how difficult that can be. And, and honestly, how a lot of founders actually either either don't want to make it or can't make it uh, you know, because of their, yeah. you know, just their wiring and their skills and really what they want to focus on. How do you work with folks around, you know, kind of that increasing leadership capacity or, or evolving their leadership yeah. skills and style? What's your kind of process for helping your clients through that?
0: One of the first things I do, and because I do work with people, sometimes they have outside investors or distributed, they have multiple owners, though the person I will be the the CEO or the founder is typically the largest shareholder, if not a controlling shareholder. So what I do is, is I start with, I'm like, let's build the business around you. And then we'll figure out how to transition you so that you're in service to the business. But the first thing I I do is I'm like, tell me about your ideal day. And so there's an exercise I run people through and it's really like release the constraints of this business. And and it's like, what are you doing? For some people they're really routine focused again, knowing that coming from the behavioral assessment. So we'll really be like, what do you do when you get up? What do you do X, Y, Z other people? It's going to be more, I want to have these five things I work on every week. They may not have as much, you know, structure in their day, but they may be like, you know, I really love doing the work. So I want to have a certain amount of time. One, I have a contractor and property developer. And he was like, I really love like project planning. Right? And I was like, great. So we went through, we looked at, I was like, how much time do you want to, he's like, I love engaging with clients. I was like, okay, great. Then you say, how can we transform the energy? So you're not project planning the job, you're project planning the business. So you want to spend three, four hours a week doing planning, project planning. Okay. What are the, the buckets of project planning? How do we translate those? So they apply to the marketing planning and the rest of this and your acquisition strategy, same thing, client engagement. I'm like, okay, well, what if we looked at it for him? What's partner engagement? You don't need to engage with the individual job client right the the it's a residential for the most part mm-hmm. um but you do want to maybe in in interact with you know other partners in uh, architects and uh, you know or um interior designers people who are going to be able to bring you volume and also how do you want to you can treat your employees as your clients right so you say mm-hmm. okay you're there to you're there to help your client get their house built you're there to help your employees get their career built So we look at all the pieces of work they want to do, and then we begin to transfer the energy. So they're doing the same job, essentially. They're Mm -hmm. just deploying all of that energy in a way that is a CEO way that is a leader that leads as opposed to doing the work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's and one of the challenges I run into a lot with folks is particularly for for kind of technical folks. So if you're a yeah. you know a, a security expert or um, you know a lawyer or an accountant, right, and, then, and right. you're potentially top of your field, right, you're you're one of the best ones out there. You're exceptionally good at at what you do. You know, you end up creating a company around that. But then I think there's this challenge where because that person can often be sometimes the best at the world at that thing, they'll never find anyone that's as good as them <laughs> to actually yeah. do the work. And that can be a real bottleneck. I, I guess, have, have you run into that case and how do you how do you kind of help them navigate kind of that reality of they, they'll, they may not find someone who's as good as them, right? But if they want to scale the business, you're going to have to accept it. You're going to have to figure out how to create a, an organization that can deliver exceptional accept, results, even if it's you're not
0: the one doing the work. So I, one of the things I look at is just in the history of man, you've never been the best person at the thing you can do, right? There will be a person who is better than in at some point in the future, mm-hmm. right? Like records get broken. Uh, <laughs> science moves forward. The four-minute
1: mile eventually came.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... There's just always, I mean, I'm, a, I'm from Boston, so I, Tom Brady and I have a complicated relationship. But, you know, there it will come a day where he's broken records. There will come a day when somebody plays till 50, right? Yeah. And it might not be him. So there are, I, I think one of the things is to keep in mind that even if you are excellent, like zone of genius, you're probably not the best. Because we got seven and a half billion people out there, right? There's probably somebody who's better than you. In fact, there's probably 100,000 people.
1: A lot of people in this world.
0: Right, who would be better than you with the, the, the proper structure. And what I think the bigger issue is often we tie so much of our identity to being successful. It's like that I walked both ways, you know, to school uphill both ways in the snow, right? And that element to where I'm like, no, your success really, when we tra- transferring the energy of success, your success is not being the best at the field. Your success is that the people who work for you are better at the job than you and it's easier for them to do the job. So they can grow and they can you can scale beyond that. It should be easier for everyone at the organization to do the work. They should not need to walk uphill in the snow both ways mm-hmm. because then they, they need to go get to a new challenge. Otherwise, All you're doing is you're on a treadmill. And I think that that can be hard with service businesses because we get really fixated on this. Like, we're just going to scale by having more bodies. Mm. And it's like, no, you're going to scale by having greater value created per capita and more bodies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And another one I think that's interesting in there is particularly when you're scaling, you know, service companies where you've got, you know, a significant reliance on, you know, people to, to do the work, deliver value is I think a lot of times companies, leaders can kind of see people as kind of cogs and they think about yeah. it as like a system. It's like, oh, I'm just going to hire this person and they're going to do this job for the next 10 years. And that's it. Like, I mean, you will know, have to maybe increase cost of living, but like that's, it's a, like this fixed piece. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, everyone wants to grow. I <laughs> don't no wants yeah. to be in the same position. They want, didn't want to do what they were doing last year, this year. How do you like, what's, what's the process for you in helping leaders in in service-based businesses where you have lots of people really kind of with that whole kind of professional development and kind of growing staff and dealing with that from a kind of talent planning point of view?
0: Well, one of the first steps is I always work with people on what's your unit of production. So I come from finance and I'm, you know, and and Mm -hmm. so we work on two things. One is what's the value you're creating for the client? that is not a unit of production, right? And we know that's a, that's the benefits, not the features, but also like, what is your unit of production? Even if you're in service, I have a, a great client, um, one of the top real estate teams in, in new England, really fast growing. And we, when we first came in, like, you know, his attitude was like, well, the unit of production is transactions. I got to, you know, houses, this, or that, or maybe clients in the database, which this, and we've, work together and shifted that to know his unit of production is agents on his team. How does he develop the best agents on his team? How does he get them up the curve faster? How does he make them better at the job than him? And how does he make it easier for them to do the job? So some of it is to shift that idea and say, your unit of production is not consulting contracts or hours of consulting. What if your unit of production is people who can perform at a higher level. You're trying to grow them. And so that shift often begins to help because you start to look at the service offering and it's like, well, if we're trying to grow people who can then, because essentially you want them all to be able to do business development too, right? This is a classic issue you have in law firms and stuff where like all of a sudden you hire somebody to your point, who's good at doing like grunt work. And then you're like, oh, and now you need to go get clients and they're not trained for that. They're not even good at sales. Yeah. So there's a degree to looking at the career development and thinking much more about, I want every person who comes into this company. I'm trying to produce them at a higher level. And then eventually as they move through management, they will be their job will be to produce the people beneath them. And I think that can be a way to to kind of go through it. And then you become then you're looking at training. What's the how long do you want people to work? How fast do they come up to speed? And What percentage of them might be people who don't want that? They just want to deliver, but then you're hiring for people who are like, look, I want to show up. I want to do this job. I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to, you know, my, there isn't growth. And there are people like that out there too. So you can begin to look at, Hey, we need 15% of the the team to perform those kinds of functions. And we're going to hire for that and make sure we don't mistakenly put somebody who wants to grow in that role or vice versa, put somebody who doesn't want to grow and force them into management just because they're the best person on, you know, often we do that with sales, right? Top yeah, salesperson yeah. becomes a sales manager. They don't want to do that. They yeah, just want to sales. Yeah. Long winded answer. Sorry about no, that. No, no, it's a good
1: one. And I, and I think it is. I mean, I, I've certainly worked with companies that have a kind of upper out culture, right? It's like either you're growing and t- getting into the next position and you know, twelve months, eighteen months, or you're out. You know, because that's just how how they roll, right? It's how they. I mean, and then others who are, yeah, I mean, you know, people that have been there 20, 30, 40 years, more or less, in the same position, and they're very, very good at it, and they're happy, and that's fine, right? And it, yeah, it's both kind of figuring out what you want as an organization, and then oh, how are you are you hiring the right people into the right roles and. Yeah, if you get those, if you cross the wires on that, that's where the problems come. Exactly. I'm curious, you know, given your finance background, are there other kind of metrics, KPIs, kind of dashboardy things that you either typically look at or a process that you help a company come up with to help? them have a better kind of handle on the numbers of the business, either operationally or financially?
0: Um, In a big one we do is, like I said, looking at if it's a project-based, project-level profitability, introducing people often just run aggregate numbers and they don't necessarily um, think about it in the way that, like, a, on a finance basis. If you come from the investment world, like, I don't build you uh, the same type of your accountant is going to pull together your tax right stuff for taxes. I will look with people and say, "Let's." You're not on accrual accounting, but let's let's look at it as if you were. Let's match up when, and then we'll talk about cash management. Like, and are you? pricing correctly to be able to keep your cash and your expenses tightly matched, right? But to mm-hmm. look at like, okay, what is the value you're creating? How do you then monetize that value? Okay. What are the costs associated with it? And for the most part in service, you're looking at a client relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's a project, sometimes it's an ongoing client relationship, but we begin to look at it and say like, let's just take one client, you know, what's your prototypical client and, and go through and build that out. And then It's more of a process of looking at like coordinating with whoever is doing finance to be able to understand how to bridge the gap. But most of the time people are not, they don't have a forecast because they don't really understand what the levers are that drive the business. And when you're looking at then how we do what metrics is like, I want to, I want to look at conversion of a lever I pull. So I'm making sales calls. I'm looking at conversion to clients, right? And what are the pieces in between? Are we getting, a conversion to the second call? What was the point of the second call? Mm-hmm. Are we getting conversion to this, getting conversion to that? So you begin to look at whether you're you're trying to understand, use metrics that will help you understand whether you should make a change, right? Not just like, and that people often have all these metrics that are just, it's like, well, sales. And I'm like, well, okay, but what are you going to do? Sales are down. So what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, said. I always say
1: that the metric. The metric should help support some decision, right? Exactly. Like, or, or some, you know, it's, it's something right. you're trying to understand either inside or decision.
0: Right. And and you have to force people to have then an opinion. I have a, a new client now. He's a he's a cybersecurity business that and his it targets the med- medical industry, and so he has sort of a sales team, and he was looking at their various conversions because they do it actually do like bring in they get leads through you know. Uh, Paid search and stuff like that. And he kept saying, Well, this I've been told is is common in the industry. And I'm like, Well, how many new clients are you trying to get? Let's just start with that. What's the number you want at the bottom? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's the step before that? Oh, sales calls. Okay. What's the conversion out of this? And it was like, Not very high. I was like, So we got a problem here. Let's stop talking about your paid search conversion. That sounds fine. Let's talk about why people are getting on the phone and then not signing up for the service. Yeah. Right. Let's go to the place where you got an issue and not look at, should you spend more money to get more people into the funnel? I was like, if you're only converting, you have a very specialized product. That funnel has lots of education in it. People ought to be getting on that call ready to buy. So it, it allows to also to just say like, let's where to focus? Cause they don't have, you know, how much capacity does the CEO have? Not a lot.
2: Yeah, They need, no, exactly. they
0: need to be really careful with their time and their energy.
1: Yeah. And in terms of sort of the types of business models and things that you've typically worked with, give some examples of you know types of businesses, types of companies, the kind of problems that you typically address when you
0: uh, engage with folks. Well, I work with, so I do work with product companies that are, I used to say I work with B2B services companies. And then one day I looked at my book and I was like, well, except for the B2C services and the B2B products and the B2C products. So I was like, um, typically the types of problems Almost always they'll come down to things like um, lack of process, which, which then leads to lack of delegation, l- role confusion. I do um, team coaching and so like often role confusion, role nausea. We go with a startup, you get a lot of people where everybody's like wearing multiple hats and then you get, and often not wearing, those hats aren't sitting so well, but at least they can swap them around, right? And when you start to grow, what happens is you'll begin to say, well, that person has been doing HR, so they should be the HR person. Instead of going, let's get all the roles on the table, and let's begin to look at, do we have the right bodies in the room? What roles naturally do people want to pick up? And then looking at, if you need to grow, what types of you know, send again, I'd usually do the behavioral assessments with the team. What what are we looking for as we need to build more structure into the business as you grow? So that's usually like that development of the rules and the structure is common across all clients. And some of the other stuff like Pricing is much more, it's relevant with a product company, but you do it, you do the analysis and then you just A-B test prices. You know, you'd be like, oh, let's try running a promotion, let's do this. Same thing even with marketing. A lot of times you can be like, well, let's see how the product works, let's see that. When you're in that more traditional, like high-end services, you really do have to look at client segments. And a lot of times people are saying, well, you know, this is the average market pricing. And I'm like, well, do you want the average market? What's your? And we look at your differentiator. And then you brought this up earlier, then you can start to look at who your ideal client is, uh, what types of pricing, what they're, how you create value, how you market to them. So again, those are more, it's not that the same principles don't apply in products. It's just, you know, there's a little bit more, you know, B2C product, like there's a lot more data and, and your segment is going to have a lot more bodies in it, right? So you're going to be looking at a, at some, a little bit more, you have to be a little harder, a little stricter about testing and really looking at whether a strategy is working but even then people i've got one where he changes all the time he's like I A B ab tested it for like two weeks and i'm like <laughs> okay well let's just let's just step back like what was what's the point of this whole thing what was the point of this whole thing what information are you trying to collect was mm-hmm. this facebook ad ab test the effective way to collect that information what are you going to do with the information And that's the kind of thing. So a lot of times that's more the strategic part of helping them make sure they're Focusing effort in the right place.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say it's like um, you kind of think like a scientist, right? Like you develop your hypothesis, right? And then what? How do you test the hypothesis? Like, what can you the, with the data you have? Did it confirm the hypothesis? Null the hypothesis, or is it inconclusive? And I figure out yeah. another test, right? It's kind of that yeah. whole sort of strategic thinking. This has been a pleasure. Because yeah, if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information?
0: Um, I'm on LinkedIn. There are not too many Casier Robinsons <laughs> out in the world, so it's spelled K. E-Z as in zebra, I- I-A-H. And uh, and so that's a great place to reach out to me. I am always interested in talking to people about their businesses, whether or not there's anything going on. I'm just always out there engaging with CEOs and um, other leaders, and I just love it. Or I have a website, um, which is www.cassia-partners.com. That's C A S S I A, And you can always uh, reach out to me there as well.
1: Great, I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can get that. Kizia, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time today.
0: Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.
0: You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt.